Hello everybody, this is Tony, and I'm having to open this week's podcast with a little bit of an apology, because during the editing of what turned out to be a three hour plus file, there was a bit of a snafu and on my part, and quite a lot of Sean's contributions to Jerry Goldsmith has been lost because of lots of boring reasons with Audacity that I won't put you to sleep with before you've listened, but I didn't want to let all of it go, because there's some beautiful music here. And I want to share it with you. And Sean does appear for a little while before, unfortunately, our streams become crossed and it would just have been a horrible, unlistenable experience. So this is not as good a podcast as we would normally put out. It's a bit truncated and it's mainly music. So hopefully you'll carry on listening and enjoy Jerry Goldsmith and a lot of his work. And, you know, maybe we'll come back and do this again or something similar later on down the road but for now an apology in advance we hope you enjoy it anyway and poor Sean because he said some really great things that you're not going to be able to hear so if you want to know more about Jerry Goldsmith from Sean tweet him and ask enjoy the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world open the pipe bay doors now I'm sorry, Jerry. I'm afraid I can't do that. It's the most you ever lost in the contest. Go ahead. Make my day. Welcome back, everybody, to Black Hole Cinema and episode four of The Composers. I'm Tony Black, your host. And I'm once again joined by my musical partner in crime or podcasting, Sean Wilson. Hey Tony, yeah, uh, either either will do. Either sounds good. <laughs> crime or podcasting, yeah. Uh, I, I, if we can do both at the same time, even better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and today we've got a uh, composer focus, uh, somebody who's very special to your heart, Sean, and uh, I, someone I think I've long, long admired. Before we talk about a little bit, we're going to play you a track from our composer of the day, who is the late, great Jerry Goldsmith.
So that was The Hunt from 1968's legendary movie, Planet of the Apes. And before we talk about The Hunt uh, as an opening track for Jerry Goldsmith, uh, Sean, why don't you tell us why this particular composer is the one you've been waiting four episodes to do? <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say hand on heart that Jerry Goldsmith is my favourite film composer. And there's, there's a great many reasons why uh, I think... You know, if you're boiling it down to the barest essence, it's his versatility and his chameleonic nature and his extraordinary ability to work through various, you know, musical textures, both orchestral and electronic, which we'll obviously, you know, talk through, you know, as as the podcast goes on. Mm. I just think that he, you know, having having a unique voice in a particular medium, whether it's music, whether it's film, whether it's art, I think that's something to really, really be champion because obviously with film music there is such a there is such a proliferation of composers that it can be you know quite hard to sift through them but then whenever I hear something by Goldsmith there there's a kind of visceral punch to it there's it, it, it sort of grabs you by the throat and it and it, it really really gets the attention you know in a really really intriguing way I mean just just to, um, what what were your thoughts on on him how do you feel when you like listen to his music well I, I think that I mean I don't know a lot of his music quite as well as you because I've not seen all of the films that we've um, that we're going to cover today but I've seen a lot of them and one thing that always leaps out at me is that he is a very very it, again and we've talked about this with all the composers we've done but you know a Jerry Goldsmith score straight away yeah it has a really distinctive individual style and sweep to it he did despite whatever genre he's playing in and occasionally you get surprises and we'll talk about some some ones later on that i've been surprised to find out of jerry goldsmith but quite often it's just a certain i'd best describe it as majesty in how he yeah, conveys yeah. things um and the the one the major choice i've come up with for this podcast and most of my choices are from the star trek movies the original star trek movies because i think some of his work there is just among some of the the, the greatest music i've ever heard in my life so i may i very much associate him with those more so but i just think he's got a certain style that is so unique and majestic and powerful that it's hard to sort of quantify almost and also He's definitely on a par with people like John Williams or Ennio Morricone, the people we've talked about before, if if not better. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the likes of John Williams and Ennio Morricone and Bernard Herrmann, you know, there are a smattering of film composers who would run him close, but I'd say he's top of the heap. And I think mm -hmm. you, you used the right word there, unique. He is, Jerry Goldsmith is or was unique. He very sadly passed away in 2004, which was mm -hmm. a very, very sad day for... Film music, I think film soundtracks lost something the day that mm. Jerry Goldsmith passed away, definitely. I think the ethos of Jerry Goldsmith's music could be summed up in a very, very pithy comment he made to a group of, uh, I believe it was college students who were studying the art of composing music for film. And he said to them, if you're presented with a scene 
in which you have uh, a person on horseback being chased by a load of other riders. You don't score the rhythm of the chase itself. What you do is you score the desperation of the rider Mm. because that's the emotional crux of the scene. The scene is anchored on the person trying to get away from the other people. It's not ultimately about necessarily what you're seeing. It's about what you're not seeing. Um, It's about the emotional truth of the scene. And I think Goldsmith was the absolute best at finding the emotional core of a movie and extracting it and extrapolating it and doing that, you know, rendering that in musical form in the most, you know, complex and, and dynamic way possible. And I think that a cue like that, the hunt from planet of the apes, you know, it's the perfect opener. I'm sure you'd agree. It demonstrates yeah. that. Perfectly. Yeah. And it, it's from a, a soundtrack that you've described before as, as pushing the, em- the, the envelope for what film music had done by that point, hadn't you in, in the, in the late 1960s. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, perhaps just to put it in in a bit of, of context as to why it was so revolutionary. I mean, Goldsmith born in Los Angeles in 1929. You know, he started playing piano at the age of six, and then when he when he turned 14, he was um, studying with legendary concert composers Jacob Gimple and Mario Tedesco, and these were very very you know, influential on his formative years. Um, there was one of those Damascene moments that he often cited, whereby he watched the, the Alfred Hitchcock movie Spellbound, which of course had the very, very famous revolutionary score by Miklos Rocha that used the sound of the theremin, that very woozy, eerie, you know, sci-fi sound. And you can quite clearly tell that you know that the very alien nature of that score was obviously a huge influence on him, and that would influence how he would absorb musical textures in his own scores later on. But he, he earned Goldsmith earned his chops in in television. He worked his way up through through the likes of, of CBS. He worked on Twilight Zone, Doctor Kildare, The Man from Uncle. So he earned his keep by working with very very low budgets and with very limited resources. And clearly, he was able to maximise what he was given. And you know, it's that ingrained orchestral knowledge you know that sense of right how can I get the best out of something when I what I have is actually not very much um and that sense of innovation carried over into various you know film scores I mean he really rose to prominence in in the 1960s he got his first Oscar nomination for um uh, the Freud uh, the John Huston uh, biopic mm. or John Huston directed biopic and the legendary Alfred Newman, uh, one of you know, the godfathers of, of film music, hired him to score the um, the prelude for the um, 1963 Western Lonely Are the Brave. Alfred Newman didn't even know who Goldsmith was, but he'd heard some of his TV work and said, right, you need to get this guy to write the music for this movie. And the path was set. You have all these various sort of landmark 1960s scores like the blue max and sand pebbles the sand pebbles is an is an astonishing score it's got a lot very rich sort of um far eastern sound to it which is one of one of goldsmith's greatest achievements but then it brings you up to planet of the apes which like you said earlier film music at that point didn't sound like that it can avant-garde atonal it wasn't necessarily based on melody or anything like that it was about rhythm and texture and there are very various, very famous stories about the 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 instrumentation and the orchestration that Goldsmith used in that. He used like ram's horns and bowls being struck and really weird, very weird and confrontational and and 
you know, deliberately alien sounding music in order to reflect the alien nature of the film. And again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier about as a film composer, he didn't necessarily look at the surface. He looked at the themes yeah. of what the film was about. And he said, right, it's obviously, you know, what what is what is the nature of mankind? You know, are, are we you know primal at heart? And the music, of course, sounds primal as a result. And you, you chose that track, The Hunt. I couldn't think of a better track from Planet of the Apes in order to demonstrate that. Yeah, totally. It really is. And it's uh, it, it's just, like you said, a really, really great standpoint um, to kick this po- uh, this podcast off and this exploration of, of Jerry Goldsmith. The next three that we're going to talk about are my first salvos from Star Trek. Now, I've chosen nine Star Trek tracks, <laughs> um, six of which alone are from what I consider, actually, and I, I say this with no hyperbole, but I consider to be my favourite ever score of anything. And and that's a big thing to say. <laughs> Not a bad um, choice. I don't yeah. think you get very many film music fans disagreeing with you there. <laughs> Star Trek The Motion Picture, which is a film that, you know, divides a lot of people. And I've, I've found a, a greater appreciation for it as I've got older. But the music for that film is astonishing and it's the most beautiful piece of of, of mute film music i've ever i've ever heard and i i frequently will just play it while i'm doing other things or i know it inside out and the three uh, first three pieces of six that i'm going to play uh, here are um the first one is klingon battle which is the second track in the score right after the introduction of the main theme and it leads directly on. It's a very connective score. It sort of flows into each other quite often. And uh, Klingon Battle is the the opening scene, basically, from the, the the movie where two big Klingon ships get obliterated by Vija, the strange alien machine that's that's ultimately involved. And it it just sets up one of Goldsmith's most signature um, pieces of music, the Klingon theme, which carried on through a lot of the Star Trek films. One even ones he didn't score himself and the tv series afterwards and it's just a, a a brilliant piece of music to kick things off yeah i think um you're absolutely right well i think arguably i don't mind star trek the motion picture either i i quite like i mean certainly compared mm. to the, the more frenetic nature of the later ones the actual cerebral relatively leisurely paced quality of the motion picture i actually think is quite a, a refreshing alternative um but the music makes the movie the, the, it's it's a Jerry Goldsmith symphony. It's it's a Jerry Goldsmith opera, if you will. And then famously, he said that it was one mm. of his most difficult films to score because while he was scoring it, the special effects weren't finished, uh, and he had to basically write freeform and then try and try and adapt the music to the visuals as they were coming in. But there was that famous story as well that the, his original Star Trek theme—that's you know signature star trek thing that of course picked up after alexander courage did the fanfare mm. for the original tv series and goldsmith obviously incorporated that into his score but the director of the motion picture robert wise didn't actually like the original theme that goldsmith came up with <laughs> and goldsmith had to rework it much to his ch- chagrin actually um, and then we ended up with the signature star trek you know theme that we know that we know today or one of the signature star trek themes actually but it's 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 astonishing and it, it, again you have that those innovative touches like the blaster beam mm-hmm. the, the blaster beam sound effect which we'll hear in in the klingon uh, battle track 
and I think you can hear, mm. especially in the scenes with Vija, that very um, romantic onic air, which which calls back to the likes of Bernard Herrmann and, and people like that. Yeah, I, I, I don't. It's not a controversial choice to say this is your favourite score ever. It's a really good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, and it's it just every time I listen to it, I I feel like I it, it just speaks to me. You know, and and this, this, the same for the, the 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 second the the second track and the third track will play. The second being Total Logic, which is a uh, quite an, uner- an unerring introduction to Spock in the film, because in the in the movie, by this point, it's not like the TV show. They've all gone their separate ways in various uh, points, and they all come together to when Vija starts to come to the Earth, and Spock's on Vulcan, and he's being trained. So it's you have this very sort of eerie distant alien sound to the introduction of Spock on Vulcan and this scene that's played out mainly in Vulcan dialogue and it's a it's a great way to introduce Spock and and highlight the alien nature of I mean that's one of the big things that's one of the big things with these tracks and this whole score is that it really underscores how well Goldsmith can convey the alien and the unknown and the the, the distant and I think this this track especially it's very different from the Vija stuff but it's it, it the first blast of that for me yeah, completely agree. And you talk about, um, we, we, we've mentioned earlier about how Goldsmith was able to really reinvent his own musical language between various films. And in fact, for, for many of his films, he actually invented musical languages that hadn't been heard before. We heard it in Planet of the Apes. We're going to hear it again now. I'm going to say this several times over the course of this podcast. If you want proof that he's the greatest film composer ever, just listen to this, <laughs> these, these tracks that you're picking because they're, they're out of the <laughs> Well, the, the other one, the final one in this three, is probably my favourite track from the entire film. and It's one of my favourite scenes of any film. It's the, uh, the track is called The Enterprise, and it's the scene where we first see The Enterprise. And it's, <laughs> as I've often described it, it's complete... Starship porn because it just lav- lovingly spends like almost five minutes tracking round the new Enterprise that's been created for the film, which has been upgrade. And it's uh, it's Robert Wise at his most sort of check out my new baby, you know, yeah. kind of thing, like like the contours of a car. But it has this beautiful introduction use of the Star Trek theme, and just the, this is where the majesty comes in because every time I hear that, I just feel like. I'm about to get on that starship and go out into space. And it's it's amazing. It's hard to convey, but it's such a gorgeous piece of music. And it's perfect, a perfect way to introduce the Enterprise, which is obviously such an iconic, you know, uh, thing in, in movies and TV. Yeah, and, and while the visuals in the scene are obviously really, really impressive even now, it's carried by the music. It, it's the mm. music that makes you care about what's going on. The music captures yeah. the sense of wonder as seen through the eyes of the characters. Um, and, it, you know, it's not it's not a space score. Weirdly, it's a human score, yeah. score that's rooted in yeah. human emotion. And I think that's the reason why why this soundtrack continues to resonate even now, as, mm. as with the vast majority of Goldsmith's work. Absolutely. So let's listen to Klingon Battle. Total Logic, and finally the Enterprise from Star Trek The Motion Picture. Thank you. 
We're going to come back down to earth a little bit more now for two tracks that are in a different kind of oeuvre for Jerry Goldsmith. And we're going into the romantic side of the man for, uh, firstly, the love theme from Chinatown, which has an interesting creation, doesn't it? Because as far as I'm aware... He had to score Chinatown in a very, very contained space of time, didn't he? Yeah, he had to score it. I believe it was in about 11 days. Uh, <laughs> That's crazy. It's, it That's is really mad. crazy, you know, considering film composers very often, well, sometimes have upwards of like you know, maybe a few months, although not so much now. But yeah, the, the original composer, Philip Lambro, uh, was, was thrown off the movie because what he tried to do is he tried to score the period of it. He tried to do it in maybe a slightly more conventional sense. I think there is a trailer in which you can hear what Philip Lambro originally had intended um, and then they didn't want that and I, I believe it was that it wasn't actually Roman Polanski's choice Roman Polanski the director I think it was Robert mm-hmm. Evans who actually got Goldsmith on board to do it and it, Goldsmith in his usual style said right well the music you know the music doesn't need to reinforce what you're looking at because it's quite clear that the film is set in 1930s you know Los Angeles obviously you know classic film Jack Nicholson Faye Dunaway mm-hmm. postmodern noir Goldsmith said you don't need to reinforce that what you need to do is you need to expose the darkness at the heart of the movie it's it's a conspiracy about water and it's a very very twisted you know, family story, and it's and it's a film about loss. It's Jack Nicholson's character, Jake Gittes, is is dealing with with a very very recent tragedy in his past, and the the music makes it sound like that history is again catching up with itself, and that that sense of tragedy is inescapable, and it's a classic example again of uh, a, a film score amplifying those dormant themes of the film, and you've got the. The, the central trumpet uh, solo by um, Wang Raisi, I want to say. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. U- UAN, <laughs> I, I'm assuming that that's right. <laughs> but I, I believe that, well, I read somewhere that one of the directions um, of, of to, to him in order to get the tone of the trumpet solo was that score it like sex, but bad sex. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you listen to it, it's like, yeah, that it is very melancholy. Um, <laughs> That's a great bit yeah, of direction. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's one of the most haunting and captivating pieces of music that Goldsmith ever composed because of how profoundly, you know, sad it is and then of course throughout the remainder of the score you have the um the harp solos and the the brilliant device where there's like a little tinkling piano that just drops off as if to represent like the drip 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 of water that the Mm -hmm. characters obviously can't get their hands on so chinatown one of one of goldsmith's most seminal and landmark works and again was one of those early 1970s scores yeah he was established at that point but it was one of those you know scores that further solidified his reputation of oh wow this guy is really is one to watch it's interesting how different that is from pillow talk which was from basic instinct about 20 years later which is a very seductive theme and i remember thinking i watched basic instinct for the first time around two years ago and i actually liked it more than i I expected to basic instinct it's a lot better than people remember people remember it just for you know the uh the famous beaver shot so to speak. yeah but it's actually quite a good psycho psycho sex thriller and i was taken immediately by the score and i didn't recognize jerry goldsmith immediately but then when i went and found out i was like wow this score's good who's this by and then when i saw jerry goldsmith i went ah okay <laughs> now it makes sense uh, and it's i'd say it's a better score than the film even though the film's quite good but 
it's a lot more. If 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 love thing sounds like bad sex, this sounds like good sex. <laughs> See, I say it sounds like good sex, about to turn very very dangerous. And that's one of the one of the masterful things that Goldsmith did with the Basic Instinct School was he was able to get the contradictory nature of Sharon Stone's character, Catherine Trammell, who is of course you know the the bisexual author who you know is suspected of having killed her lover mid-session with an ice pick and Michael Douglas's mm. detective has to come in and investigate and what Goldsmith does with the music is he creates like you said he crafts something that's very seductive and very alluring yet it's also very terrifying and you're not quite sure as with her character which way the music is going to turn and yeah. you're getting drawn into it it's very attractive yet you're you're telling yourself at a primal level hang on a minute you know this is <laughs> this is this is deadly you know it's 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 it's, it's, it's creepy <laughs> Um, and I think Goldsmith's ability to score contradiction in music was one of his most remarkable abilities. And this score deservedly got an Oscar nomination in 1992. And I would say I'd hold it up as one of his greatest 90s achievements. Well, almost certainly, probably the best erotic thriller score that was that's ever been done. Probably, I would mm. say, you could put it alongside John Barry's score for Body Heat back in the early 80s. Mm. Uh, and... It, this this was the basic instinct score was to have a massive massive influence over the remainder of goldsmith's you know 1990s thriller output i mean if you listen to like something like for example malice um the nicole kidman alec baldwin film that came out the year after basic instinct you only have to listen to that you listen to like the instrumental stingers and the use of tension in that and you will hear the influence of basic instinct hanging over it Mm -hmm. but i just thought basic instinct is it's an astonishing piece of work and I've said this several times already, it makes the film better. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it makes it more compelling. It's the music that's drawing you in. Um, and I, I agree with you, actually. I think Paul Verhoeven, the director, is actually somewhat underrated in his ability to imitate other compo- other directors, because obviously in this he's doing a fabulous job of doing a Hitchcock pastiche, <laughs> yeah. only with a lot more lewd and lurid stuff in it. But the, the, um, him and Goldsmith worked on Total Recall, which we'll get to obviously later on, and also Hollow Man. And uh, Goldsmith, you know, I mentioned that the Star Trek assignment was difficult. Goldsmith said that he almost walked off Basic Instinct because Verhoeven was so demanding in terms of getting the, the tone of music spot on. Mm. Uh, and in fact, the main Basic Instinct theme actually arose out of a series of notes that was that was within an underscore cue. There was a series of notes that Verhoeven picked up and went, right, there you go, there's my theme build the score around that oh, okay. and then you know wouldn't you know history was made and yeah. it gave birth to one of the the greatest um thriller soundtracks of all time i would say i don't think that's that's overstating it i would agree i would agree so let's listen to bad sex with love theme <laughs> from chinatown and um good but evil sex with pillow talk from basic instinct
Next up, we're heading back into, if not complete, well, space, um, where no one can hear you scream, and uh, the future for uh, two sci-fi entries by Goldsmith. Firstly, the landing from Alien. Now, the Alien soundtrack had to be included in this list, because... It's probably one of his most well-known, given how well-known Alien, the 1979 Ridley Scott seminal sci-fi film is. But I think if anything sort of backs up what you said earlier about how, with the Star Trek score, that it's not an an Alien sci-fi score, it's a human score, I think I would say very much the same about Alien. Because even though it's a horror film, it's not. I don't think it's scored traditionally like a horror film at all, as you would know it now, certainly. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think that it, it, it's rooted in musical emotion that we can understand as people, uh, I think. Mm. And this is key to the success of Goldsmith as a composer. There's actually, it's, it's I mean, not only is, is Alien one of another of Goldsmith's, you know, trend-setting works, it's also the, the creation of the score on this film is a really interesting story in and of itself because it was very, very difficult and traumatic for Goldsmith to get this score together because he was working with Ridley Scott, and fa- they famously had very, very difficult communication problems on this. Because like, Goldsmith was a very, very innovative film composer. And he came up with a, a very striking um, initial opening title um, theme. When You know, when you see the bars coming up on the screen mm. beginning and it spells out the title. Originally, what Goldsmith came up with was there was a very, very haunting um, trumpet solo that seemed to be... It's inviting, yet it also captures the cold desolation of space. And again, we mentioned the the, the fact that he was able to score contradictions with basic instinct. That Mm. seems to be what he was going for with Alien. And then I think Ridley Scott maybe got a bit cold feet that maybe the music was doing too much of the heavy lifting. And he had Goldsmith chuck that out and write the much more astringent, you know, textural opening music that we hear in the film. And Goldsmith famously described that piece of music as a a piece of crap that he knocked out in an hour. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And the the collaboration didn't get better. You know, um, Scott threw out several of Goldsmith's cues and and replaced them with temp tracks of other, other Goldsmith music from elsewhere in his career, which the composer wasn't happy with. Very, very difficult um, score creation in this. And there's a, there's a terrific documentary on the Alien Quadrilogy DVD that I'd recommend people seek out in which you can sense that that tension was still very much there when Goldsmith was alive. Mm. But it's a very, very difficult one to call because when you listen to the film, when you watch the film, the music works brilliantly. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's a great score. And... A pretty much a great movie as well as he's uh, as he's alien so let's listen to the landing from alien and the big jump from total recall
Switching gears then, we're heading into horror, because as with every great composer, and most of the composers we've we've discussed um, in the composers so far, they all can play in different zones and in different types of movie. And horror is one that Goldsmith has been particularly memorable in. Let's uh, be terrified by Dog's Attack by The Omen and Twisted Abduction from Poltergeist.
Let's listen to House Raising from The Secret of Nim and Welcome to Sarvo from The Ghost and the Darkness.
Okay, we're um, beaming up now back into uh, Trek World for the next three pieces from the motion picture, which I lobbied to put in. Um, it's rare that I'm going to put in six tracks from one score, but I, <laughs> I, I, I could have put the entire soundtrack in for this um, because I, I love every single piece of music on this score. But we're going to talk about three more from the motion picture. Firstly, Ilea's theme which, uh, oddly enough, is the first track on the score, which is, is before the main title, which is strange. Certainly in the release, anyway, or the the, the anniversary release. But Ilea's theme is, is that, you mentioned earlier, Sean, about the romantic theme running through. And, you know, as it does with a lot of Goldsmith's works, as we found throughout this, you know, he comes at it from a very romantic human angle. And the and Ilea's theme is a beautiful piece of romantic music because Ilea is the <laughs> character played by um, Persis Cambata in the film who is a Delton, so she's very emotional and she's, a, she's <laughs> a, basically pure pheromones walking around the ship. And she uh, she has this romantic aspect with Willa Decker, who's the, uh, the, technically the captain, but he's under, he's under, he's overtaken by Admiral Kirk when he comes in. But yeah, they end up uh, ultimately in the film, as we find in, in the third track we're going to play, The Meld, they end up being quite crucial to how to defeat Vija. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece. And, you know, she was a key character to the actual story in terms of ultimately she becomes the mouthpiece for Vija. And it's it allows him to do a lot through Ilea, really, I think. And as I say, that that's very clear in the meld where it all builds to a very rousing conclusion towards the end of the film. And that's the third one. But the second one we're going to play is The Cloud, which I think is just a, a phenomenal piece, which is where the and there's a couple of tracks where the Enterprise are basically going through Vija and, and the, the big midsection of the film is very much them travelling through Vija. And I think I don't think any Star Trek film since I don't think the motion picture is best is the best Star Trek film at all. But no Star Trek film since has ever conveyed that sense of the Enterprise going into the complete unknown. You know, it, it does it amazingly well with it with the motion picture because it's this long protracted sequence where the Enterprise is flying through cloud formations and strange, you know, visages. And then later on, Spock actually does a walk, which is another track on the soundtrack where he goes through Vija in like a spacesuit and he sees even more of these bizarre things that Vija has seen on its travels over hundreds of years. And it's, it's stunning. It's beautifully shot, but it's also scored amazingly well. And the cloud is just, it gets to the heart of what I think Star Trek is in terms of a concept. So uh, let's just enjoy what sadly is the last three tracks of um, from the motion picture. Just go and just go and listen to the motion picture, please. You know you don't have to watch the film, and you don't even have to be a Star yeah, yeah. Trek fan, really. <laughs> you can if you appreciate classical music, and you appreciate music that will just stir your soul. Yeah, yeah. Just listen to that to that to that score, please. Um, and for now, <laughs> thank you. And for now, just uh, we'll we'll set you off with Ilya's theme, the cloud, and the meld from Star Trek: The Motion Picture.
So let's be swept away by Rezuli attacks from the Wind of the Lion and the Sand Volcano from the Mummy.
So let's listen to the main title from Magic and the end credits from Gremlins The New Batch.
So let's listen to the main theme from Patton and Air Force One's The Hijacking.
Okay, we now have four more tracks for you to play, and we're going to play three of them um, in our final barrage of Star Trek. And we're not doing the motion picture now. We're going a little bit forward in and playing a track from three three of the other films in the Star Trek <laughs> and that Jerry Goldsmith composed. And the first one is The Barrier, which is from The Final Frontier. Now, The Final Frontier <laughs> is, is one of the worst Star Trek films, definitely, <laughs> easily. It's basically a William Shatner directorial ego trip. However, the soundtrack by Jerry Goldsmith is really good. It's, it's not on the, on the par of, um, of the motion picture, but I would venture to say that it's possibly his best one after that. And the barrier is, again, similar to The Cloud in some respects, but it's a beautiful piece of quite raising emotional (laughs) music as the Enterprise is going through the the great barrier of the galaxy. Following that, the next one is New Sight from Star Trek Insurrection, which is a slightly overlooked score and film, really, in general. And New Sight is a beautiful piece of music where, to cut it short, the the next generation crew end up trying to save a, a people called the Baku, who are on this paradise planet basically and they're being forced relocated by a little conspiracy of aliens and the starfleet and there's a there's a point where they start to realize that this planet has regenerative properties and geordie laforge who's a character who in the show is blind he starts to get his sight back and there's a there's a beautiful scene as where he speaks to captain picard about how he can see and there's a beautiful vista it wasn't i don't think it was what they wanted at that time it was off the back of of first contact which is a really you know adventure exciting story and i think it very much was a a film that was a a, a kind of a two-parter that had been made for for the cinema people wanted something a lot more big and and explosive and exciting and it's a shame because michael pillar who died who wrote the film who died not a couple of years afterwards wrote a fantastic breakdown of how insurrection was made which i would encourage anyone it's on the internet now it's free to free to see um or you it was anyway and it's a brilliant read for anyone who's interested in in how a film is written and made because it wasn't an easy journey for him to make it. And it's a shame, really, that it's not a brilliant Star Trek film by any means, but it's it's nice. I included the next one, a new ending from Star Trek Nemesis, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an ending of sorts, even though we've got one more track to play. Because it's, it's one of the final Goldsmith uses of the Star Trek theme that plays out Nemesis. Nemesis would have been one of his final scores as well. Nemesis came out in 2002. And it starts with a, a lovely little tinkle of, of the uh, old Blue Skies jazz piece, which, which features in the, um, in, in the movie as part of the, the plot in some respects. And it's, it's tinkling over the, the final scene as Data has sacrificed himself, but there's a, there's, a, there's a potential possibility he still exists in another android. And you, you just the final scene is Picard realising that maybe he hasn't quite lost his family of the crew that he thought and it's a nice little sweet moment to close out the film and close out the next generation actually because that's the last time we've seen them it's just nice to have a final blast of the star trek theme really from the from the very beginning so let's uh let's wrap up our star trek look with the barrier from the star trek the final frontier new site from star trek insurrection and a new ending from star trek nemesis Thank you. 
it's been it's been really nice to to look at a lot of his work and to go through it. And this we were this, this podcast is the tip of the iceberg. You know, like with all of these composers, there's so much else that brilliant underneath what we've given you. So I would encourage you as ever to go and investigate and find uh, and listen to all of these scores that <laughs> we've put out today and go and look at all of his other work because there's so many other things we could have included and we left out. Um, otherwise we'd be here for an in 24 hour podcast. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, <laughs> maybe one day, but yeah, definitely go Thanks, and find more of Jerry Goldsmith's work because it is wonderful stuff. Brilliant. We'll be back for, um, another episode of the composers um fairly soon and we'll be back for more as i say you can find black hole cinema on twitter at black hole cinema and on facebook at black hole cinema we're part of obviously the black hole media podcast network so you can find that at black hole media to keep an eye on all all the other podcasts that we do and that are coming up and obviously you can find us on itunes so please do go and give us a rating or a, a review ideally and that'll help us find more listeners for all this beautiful music that we're putting in front of you so stick around till the end for the reveal of our next composer that we're going to be tackling in part five but until then we're going to play you out with a final track from the the greatness that is jerry goldsmith and this is nicaragua from the film under fire take care and see you soon
on the composers. Join Tony and Sean as they look at the bombastic baritones of Hans Zimmer. 